Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Gabrielle Lost. And joining me from Reno, Nevada, is author Lynn Case. She is the author. She has written three novels. This is the third release. And the other two, I believe, have some of these same characters. Who is Gabrielle? And uh, tell us a little about this story. Um, Gabrielle is, well, I've got, I've got four novels out now. And it's a group of uh, women friends that meet in college. And now they're in their late 30s. So each book is a standalone story. Uh, but it's about, it focuses on one of the friends. And of the four friends, <clears throat> Gabrielle is the, the free-spirited wild child of the four of them. Um, and in this book, I focus mostly on her life. The other friends are mentioned in there. But Gabrielle is uh, in the fashion industry, uh, and she gets a chance to uh, further her career by going to Italy to train with one of the uh, fast-rising mavericks over there uh, in Milan. And when she leaves her uh, boyfriend, fiance, here in the States and travels over there, that's when, uh, choose my words carefully, that is when things begin to, to, to change for her. <laughs> yes, would you say heat up maybe? Yeah. Is that the right phrase? They, they, yeah. Well, yeah. They, they heat up for her and she starts to revert back to her old and wild and free-spirited ways. Uh so she has to choose, you know, what path to follow. And there's all kinds of uh, intrigue and, of course, in the wine country and the fashion world and some little mafia thing going on there, a little smuggling that she mm. tries to figure out. And, of course, there's a love triangle that happens over there between uh, the Maverick and, and her and the brother, uh, the Maverick's brother. So in you know, <laughs> something for everybody. I don't want to get too much into the story. But... Yeah, something for everyone in this um, novel. Would, well, that be, would that be the way to describe yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And... Well, in all my books, all my books are uh, they have everything. There's romance. There's mystery. There's suspense. There's uh, cliffhangers because you know, and there's comedy, of course. And there's always a recipe or two in there too because I like to cook. But in this, in Gabrielle Lost Lobsters. But, uh, uh, you know, it just, life is everything. You know, life has everything in it. You have a little bit of of all all kinds of emotions and stuff. So I try to put everything into my books, you know, because it makes them real. And they're real characters. And I want you to, when people are reading, I want them to, to just forget about the troubles in their life or whatever, what stresses them out. When you're reading, you want to be entertained. And I try to make these characters as real as possible. So it's like, oh, my gosh, what is this person doing now? You know, uh, so that's so, the goal anyway. Sure, and, and Gabrielle and, and the others uh, are involved in uh, romantic attraction to each other. That's part of the novel. Is that the main underscoring uh, storyline, or is there actually more to it than that? Oh, there's, not, there's a lot more than that. That's just like a sideline. There's uh, some cocaine smuggling that she need, has is mixed in with a little wine country shipments and uh, just, and of course, the fashion industry. And so there's more than just romance going on. There's and, kidnapping. There's um, beautiful animals. 
I've got some white peacocks in there mm. that adorn the lawn. There's a tiger pit. So it's yeah, it's got it's got some things in there. Well, Lynn, <laughs> Lynn, how long did it take you to begin your first novel? I mean, have you always had the desire to be a creative writer? Is this uh, something that's been a passion lifelong? And uh, if so, uh, why did it take so long to get that first novel completed? Well, pretty pretty much. Um, my uh, I don't remember when I was too young, but my older sister tells me that I used to write all the time. And I do remember writing a couple of mysteries when I was in my teens. And you just write for yourself, and then, you know, you clean your room, you throw it away. It's like, eh, done with this. Um, and I just wrote for me. I mean, it was just something that I did. And my cousin, I won't name, officially me, uh, <laughs> she read uh, the draft for Fears Revenge, my first novel that I published. And she's the one that made me publish it. Uh, constant nagging for uh, a couple months, and I decided, okay, fine. And I had such a good response from Fears Revenge that, well, hey, maybe what I do for me is, you know, pretty good. So then I started publishing, and so I've got four out now, and I'm working on some more. That's incredible. Uh, They're not connected to the first four. Uh, Gabrielle Lost is about 250 pages. Um, did it take a long time, or are you one of those writers that just writes from inspiration at uh, at, at that moment and in immersing yourself in the story, or do you uh, work from an outline? No, I don't work from an outline. When uh, when I'm writing, um, my characters tend to just kind of come alive. I need to be alone and focus, which is hard to do taking care of uh, an elderly mom. Um, so I can't focus too much unless it's late in the evening and she's asleep. But yeah, I like to delve in and just it just flows. Uh, when I was writing my my second novel, uh, Return to Lily Cove, I intended one of the characters to be a certain characteristic, say. And by the end of that chapter that I was describing them in, it turned out to be a whole different person, but it worked. So wow. <laughs> it's like, oh. Hmm. So my characters just tend to take on their own life and, and go with it. You know, I just let it fly. <laughs> now, Gabrielle Lost, which is the title of this book, uh, you mentioned that yes. uh, some of these characters have uh, migrated. This novel is set in Italy. Were the others also set in Italy, or is this just a passion of yours, uh, a place that you'd like to someday visit and experience firsthand? I would love to visit there. That would be great. Um, I told my publisher, if anybody wants me to do a book signing over there, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> but the other books are set in various parts of the, the U.S. Um, and uh, but this one, the character, Gabrielle, the main character, is Italian, Italian family and everything. So, of course, she's got to travel back you know, to her childhood, her grandparents' home where she spent time with, you know, her family when she was younger. And, and of course, the fashion industry is there, you know, with their um, fashion shows and, you know, Milan and, and all that. So I don't know a lot about the fashion industry, so they'll have to excuse me if I mess up. But uh, it, it just seemed the perfect setting. You know. I noticed some of the phrasing in your book uh, was actually in Italian. Is uh, that your personal heritage, or did you uh, have to do some research to get those phrases correct? Oh, I had to do some research to get those phrases correct. Uh-huh. Um, no, actually, I'm not. I'm not Italian. I'm a lot of other things, though. Uh, <laughs> I'm just good old American Heinz fifty-seven. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, mostly. I, actually, I'm into ancestry. There, it's a just a passion of mine as well as writing. I've been doing our ancestry search for almost 
oh my god, almost 20 years now. Wow. So I've done the DNA testing and everything. So I'm 49% British hmm. on my dad's side. So <laughs> surprise. But uh, I'm Hungarian and German and Indian and you, just like anybody else. Gotcha. But not Italian. Not Italian. But no, hmm. I, I just love it. Just not Italian. I just I love it. I love their food, their wine, their the, the countryside. Yes. You know, just the housing, the old houses and stuff. So it just it was a good place for me to pick for her. Well, fabulous. I, and of course, as I mentioned in a pre-interview, I've been to Italy and think it's uh, it's been a place that I have uh, longed to, if I had the cash, <laughs> visit or maybe <laughs> even live there for a short period of time. I. I uh, I think it's a wonderful country. There's uh, there's certainly some magnificent uh, places. In fact, one of them is outlined in your book, and that's uh, Lake Como. Yeah, that's what you mentioned, yeah. And it just seemed like a pristine place to pick for a little village uh, for her grandmother's house to be in. Uh, you know, a little fishing village and, you know, old home. And it just I picture it in my head. I hopefully, hopefully, I got it down in the book, but I picture it in my head, and it's just, it's beautiful. It absolutely yeah. is, absolutely. This, uh, this was a, a work of uh, of passion for you. Uh, Two hundred and fifty yeah. pages. How long did it take to complete? Oh, I'm sorry, you asked me that before. I'm sorry, I didn't answer. It took me almost a year from beginning to actually getting it out in in uh, print because uh, I put a lot into the research of it because uh, I needed to know more about Italy. Um, so I researched a bunch of different things and so it took a while and editing and editing and editing and editing. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I do, I've, editing. I've done some creative things and I keep going back to stuff I've done four years ago and saying I should have done that to it. You know, it's just, it just, I think it's oh, yeah. the personality of anybody that uh, loves to do the creative process. The uh, books that you've written, have you received any, uh, I guess feedback besides from friends and relatives uh, about your your style or your books. Yes, actually, I did a a, a book tour, book signing tour uh, last year. No, in 2017. Oh my goodness, we're in 2019. Uh, 2017, I did a book tour here in Cal. Well, in California, parts of Nevada, and yeah, it was great. I mean, there was people waiting for me to get there, and uh, you know, it was. Well, Great feedback. That's, um, yeah, that's, that, yeah. That, that's that's important as a as a creative to get uh, that that uh, that passion returned to you. You uh, say yeah. you've written four books. Uh, the other one, I don't know if uh, an interview has been done on that. Hopefully, we'll get to talk about that in the future. Uh, this titled Gabriel yes. Lost. And uh, Gab- Gabriel, Gabriel, it's, it's all spelled the same. Uh, where, <laughs> where, where where do we get copies of your book? Um, you could pretty much get it anywhere. Barnes and Noble, I think, is the biggest one. Amazon is a huge carrier of it. Um, uh, you can go to my website, lincasebooks.com, and you can order it straight from there. If you connect, you pick which book you want and the format you want it in, um, you go straight to my publisher and you can get it off of there. Um, gosh, any bookstore can can get it. You just, Type it in. You can pull it up. Absolutely. And Lynn is spelled with two yeah. N's and last name C-A-S-E. Lynn Case Correct. has been my guest. Now, this book, just for clarification, uh, this is not a book that possibly 10, 12, 13 young teens should be reading. Is that uh, a, a good good suggestion, or is it open for everybody? Um, as a mother, 
<laughs> I have I have grown children. I would say you know sixteen and older. Right. I you know it's more mature. It's mature. Yes. You know. Yes, there are some. Um, there's are, parts that. Yeah. Yeah, it's got some naughty bits. Not not naughty bits, but you know, it has some no, passion has, in the book. It has some. Yeah, it has some naughty bits in it. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I shouldn't be laughing at that if I have kids. Don't read the book. You know, this is this is a this is definitely a mature book, but it's not it's not laced with uh, you know bad language or anything. Other, at least I didn't find any in the book. I think it would be uh, for, again for someone that's an adult and wants to to uh, you know take that fantasy journey to Italy and and uh, be immersed in characters. This would be a book they would enjoy reading. Uh, your books uh, possibly would lend themselves to theatrical releases. Anything that's been of interest there yet? Uh, yes, actually, they're currently writing a script for a movie. If, um, there, I spoke with uh, a script writer the other day to get some more information uh, so she could write uh, the script. And Hopefully it'll get picked up as a movie. So, oh, lost maybe on the big screen sometime in the near future. Yeah, fabulous. That, will that be domestic release or or worldwide? How do you how do you envision? Oh, you know what? Right now, this has already gone beyond my my hopes and dreams. You know, as far as my books have gone, so it's just, let it go. You know, yeah. I'm gonna let it go as big as it's gonna get. I was really surprised at that Gabrielle Lois took off as uh, I feel my best work is, is Fear's Revenge, my first book. Hmm. Um, that one, I yeah, that one, we, that's where you meet everyone. That's where you meet all the characters in the remaining, in the other books. Um, so there, Fear's Revenge was the first one, which is a thriller suspense. And that's where you first meet Gabrielle, and you really get the background on who she is. Uh, so when you go, if you were to read Fear's Revenge first, and then you read Gabrielle Lost, you'll understand more of the character um, and how she was compared to how she is, <laughs> Wow! you know, now. Yeah. Well, so, but, um, well with movie distribution but, and, and story distribution like Netflix and, and others out there, there's a, a wider range of distribution than there ever has been in the history of creative things and creative writing. Again, the title of the book is Gabriel yeah. or Gabrielle Lost. And my author, Lynn Case, who has joined me from Reno, Nevada. Thank you so much for joining me today, and best of luck in the future. Hopefully, we'll visit again. Oh, thank you very much, Jay. It's been nice talking to you. My pleasure for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Congratulations on getting your book published. The effort you put into your work is truly commendable. But what's next? What will happen to all the knowledge you have worked so hard to acquire to produce your book? Here at Toginet Radio, we can provide you a platform to keep your knowledge working for you through the power of podcast. The subjects our podcasts cover are as varied as the grains of sand on a beach. From life coaching, to military resources, to business success, even to the paranormal. We have a place for everyone. To get started on your next step, call Scott at 903-787-5880 or email him at scott at toginetradio.com. That's S-C-O-T-T at T-O-G-I-N-E-T-R-A-D-I-O dot com.
Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The Quonset in Tutuhan. Joining me from Guam in the Asian Pacific is author C. Sablan Galt. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for calling. This is an interesting uh, concept in several ways. It's a, a, a large uh, read of about 300 and some pages. Why did you decide to write this? Uh, I know you have a background in newspaper reporting and doing columns and so on. How did this book come about? Actually, I'm retired, and um, uh, this is a sequel to a, a first book. And I wrote the first book mainly as um, a leisure thing to do, and this second book was uh, sort of forced upon me by by uh, friends and fans of the first book who said, you can't leave it there, you've got to finish the story. Mm. And that's how it came about. The heroine and uh, hero in the first book get married in the second. The title is interesting also. An area above the city of Agania, the capital of Guam, and it's on a ridge. What happened was after the war, many of the people who owned plots of land in Agania, the Navy took them all away and redesigned the city of Agania, but ignored the the um, original property lines. So many of the people, including my grandparents, moved uphill to the area above the town, and that area is called Tutuhan. Hmm. It's you know, uh, its modern name is Agania Heights. This is the sequel to your uh, first novel, A Mansion on the Moon. Is it about yes. the same length of uh, storyline as uh, this? No, actually, the uh, the difference between the two is that the first book, uh, the print, the font used in the first book was was so tiny, um, and I didn't notice that in the galley proofs. It looked fine to me. So when the book came out, the, the the print was very small. So in the second book, I went uh, uh, a size, a point size larger, and I think that's why the book is uh, appears more, you know, with more pages mm. because the font size is larger. <laughs> uh, is this set in uh, contemporary times, or is this a look back into the past? It's a look back into the past. It's it begins in the first book begins um, before the war, leads up to the uh, World War II and through it. And um, about midway through the first book, the hero, Philip Avery, meets the Chamorro, young Chamorro girl, Vivian Camacho. And Philip rents a, a place, uh, you know, quarters from, from Vivian's father. And in the second book, Vivian and, and Philip get married. Would Much you, happens in the first book that would, leads up to the second. Yes, and would you describe this as character-driven, or is it story and character-driven combined? Combined, both. Yeah. Uh, because of the time frame, you know, what happened to the people of Guam during World War II, and uh, the relationship between, um, you know, the Chamorro people and, and the Navy which goes back to 1899, and mainly because uh, many people um, in the you know in the United States know very little about Guam 
and uh, that was part of the motivation for me to write the 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 book not only as a leisure leisure pro, leisure project to do in retirement and it's something I wanted to write not a an assignment or anything like mm. that and mainly to tell the story of that relationship that that goes back almost a hundred years now incredible as a native of Guam yourself uh, born there again yeah. as you've described it Guam is one of those countries, although the name is very familiar to us, its history and culture are not as familiar to us as it should be in our contemporary world. What is it that's unique that uh, you wanted to share besides uh, the basic storyline uh, so that people would get better acquainted with Guam and its its heritage? It's the idea that um, we are so... We don't think we're isolated. The rest of the world thinks we're isolated. Right. We are not. Because from, you know from early history, we've had um, encounters with many, you know, many people, many famous people, many um, incidents, you know, intersected with with our our paths, and um, uh, so many people just don't know that about us. Right. The contents of your book, was there research that had to be done in order to flesh out the characters and the storyline? But a lot of it had to do with um, researching World War II, researching, um, because it's, you know, it's not my time frame. It's not, I had to, I had to look things up and, 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 um, but the characters themselves are based on bits and pieces of a lot of people that I know and stories that I've heard, uh, many of us have heard uh, about the, 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 the Japanese occupation about pre-war Guam, what happened during and after the war. We grew up with such stories. And um, my book, the first book in particular, uh, details bits and pieces of a lot of the, the stories that I grew up with. Because it's it's set in the World War II general uh, time frame, is there also action in your book? Uh, are there action sequences or those types of things that would be generally assigned to World War II adventures? Oh, yes, um, but not with the focus that, you know, a war buff would, would, would like, because, mm. um, you know, I, I'm female, I never fought a war. I would have difficulty, I think, describing it accurately or in the way that, you know, a, a soldier would relate to. So I had to be careful about that. But yes, there is. What I did, what I could um, really describe is uh, what happened to the Chamorro people during the occupation, before and during the occupation and afterwards, not from direct experience, but from from the, the stories I grew up with. Describe for my listeners your writing style from your perspective. Is it, uh, is it uh, conversational? Is it emotional? What would be the best way to describe that? I think it's emotional. My background is in in uh, newspaper reporting, and I had difficulty. I had to force myself to to go into details because you know, newspaper writing is is clipped and uh, to the point. Yes, and you know you don't uh, waste space on details. But since this was my own writing, my own leisure project. I let myself go. Use all the adverbs I wanted. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. Apparently, the uh, end result is something that you're very proud of, I would think. Just accomplishing the 300 pages would certainly put a smile on my face if I was an author. What is your approach to writing this story? Did you, as a newspaper reporter in your background, did you write this as an outline and then develop it from there? Or was it just let the creative juices flow and uh, let the story just spill out? It's funny you should ask that because the first the first book was, a, both of them are, are just, you know, free-flowing um, ideas. And in a sense, the story, the, the characters were telling me the story, and I was just reporting it and listening to them, listening to what happened to them. <laughs> Funny, you know, listening to, to them tell their story, and I was just hammering away on the computer. Wow. The second one, the second book, Tutuhan, uh, uh, the concert in Tutuhan, was more asking them, well, now what did you guys do? and trying to imagine what it was they were going through and then pounding it out on the computer. But it, from an outline, no. Free-flowing. D- did it take a long time and to complete? To, uh, yes, because there were so many starts and so many deviations that, you know, uh, when my my friends read it, a uh, couple of ladies who I turned to, you know, can you read this and tell me what you think? They they go where the heck are you going with this? And I would ditch it, you know, ditch that part and go right. you know, take another turn. Would you describe this as a book for every reader, or is this adult uh, driven as far as the storyline? Uh, who do you think is going to find this uh, an intriguing read? I think it's well, it would appeal, main, you know, uh, a good deal to Chamorro women, women from Guam, women who know about Guam. Uh, know the history, a little bit of the history, or who have been here before, you know, because they can relate, they they can relate to the places that I talked about in the book. As far as a level, probably high school, I do not go into graphic detail, you know, pornography is not what I wanted to write. Yes. I wanted to write a pretty little, pretty little romantic history. Beautiful. And I didn't want to use bad words or, you know, graphic details. I wanted the, the uh, reader to use his imagination, you know, let his imagination figure it out. Absolutely. And um, beyond that, who would it appeal to? I guess mainly people who are interested in faraway places, interested in little, you know, stories about World War II and um, uh, people who have been here before military types who've, you know, been stationed here and know a little bit about it, about Guam. Did an an underlying message or a moral to the story, was that something that popped to the surface after you completed it? Not really. It was sort of the thread that that went through the whole book, and that was that, you know, love lasts, Hmm. real love lasts, and nothing you know, it's the kind of, of, of love that death doesn't kill. Beautiful. Certainly a, a message that a lot of my listeners will find attractive and something they'll want to read. The title of the book is, again, The Quonset in Tutu Han. Did I get it right? Yes, pretty, pretty close. <laughs> All right. And the writer, the author, <laughs> is C initial, Sablan Galt, G-A-U-L-T, where can my listeners get copies of this? 
Um, it's available on Amazon and um, Barnes and Noble, uh, also from the Ex Libris Bookstore, locally here on Guam. It's uh, available at Bestseller Books, and at the Guam Museum, and at the um, Warren the Pacific National Historical Park Bookstore or uh, Gift Shop. Well, fabulous. Maybe we should load up a tour group and um, make a pilgrimage to Guam, get acquainted with the culture and also the history. I haven't been to Guam yet. I've heard it's a, a very fascinating place to visit. So uh, hopefully at some point that will happen in my future. And in the meantime, best of luck with this book. Again, the first book was A Mansion on the Moon. This one, The Quonset in Tutuhan. It's spelled T-U-T-U-J-A-N. Uh, consequently, that's why I'm struggling a little bit with the pronunciation. But thank you for joining me today, and uh, best of luck in the future. Thank you very much, Jay. My pleasure for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Byzantine Pineapple, Corporation X. And joining me from Florida is the author, Bill Posey. Welcome, sir, to the program. Well, thank you, Jay. Nice to meet you, and thank you, everyone out there, for listening. Well, this is a, a fascinating book because the cover of it is, a, at least from a visual standpoint, a little, I, I don't know if the word misleading is uh, is correct, but uh, when I first saw the cover, I said, oh, this must be a fictional novel, science fiction, that kind of, uh, kind of uh, approach from this author. Bill, tell me why the title and what is contained in its pages? The Byzantine pineapple refers to the system, the uh, social, economic, legal, political system. I acronym it to SELP. And Byzantine means that we live in a society globally where the layers of laws are keep being built upon layers of laws that keep being built upon layers of laws. No one knows what is legal, what is illegal, what is criminal, what is not criminal, because there's so many laws out there. Oh, that's true. Okay, we don't need more laws. Mm -mm. We need a simpler system. That part is but so the upshot mm -hmm. of the Byzantine laws is that the people in government reside in a form of pineapple. If you are on the outside of the pineapple wall, which is structured against the everyday people. Well, you're paying cash in, and you ain't really getting what you want out of it. Mm. Whereas those on the inside of the wall, oh, they're eating the fruit, and everyone else is deterred by the wall to be able to get at it. Well, well I, I 
can totally agree with what you're saying at this juncture. You have a, a background in finance and in leadership in uh, uh, international companies, so you do have a perspective that's not just opinion, or not just based on opinion, but it's based on practical application, I would think, as well. Would that be a good way to describe your, your history? Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, the text before uh, laying out system reforms first does uh, systems analysis of, well, why are things failing, but done in a shirt sleeve manner so that anyone with a high school education can can follow along and understand what's going on. Then, having laid out first the systems analysis of why things fail, we rebuild a new version of the matrix with systems design techniques uh, com- common to information systems design. That's again sounds complicated. Now you do use the word matrix. Uh, where did this uh, idea develop? How did it develop? Matrix in this context directly refers to the trilogy movies, The Matrix, and that ties into the cover Hmm. and the cover design. The concept is to wake readers up from the Matrix, kind of like Morpheus and, and the other characters do. So the way to think about it is this. The political right and the political left have evolved things and systems to the point where they're at today. And it's, I don't want to be overly critical in some regard because great and vast improvements have been made for people globally due to the efforts of the right and the left. But in a certain sense, they've, they've shot their, well, whatever adjective you want to use. Okay, right. they, they have no more plans. They have no new vision. So what they do is they keep people asleep in the matrix with the the daily media things that they feed everyone to keep everyone asleep in the matrix. So the concept then is that we need to evolve the existing system. We need to follow nature and evolve the self, social, economic, legal, political systems to a new level that is beyond what the political right and the political left have. And therefore, the text provides, this is part one, but it provides the macroeconomic framework for redoing government to allow for that to occur. Is that something that can be accomplished without uh, adjusting maybe demolishing some of the uh, legal obstacles that are in place that have been set there by government? Well, um, from my perspective, um, in regards to the United States, this can all be done constitutionally. So in the regard of legal in that regard, it's all constitutional. But the concepts that are outlined extend to any of the 200 various uh, government organizations, uh, major, like country versus state and local or or province, uh, if you will. Um, It can be used anywhere because the concepts are about people. The the concepts outlined are about treating everyone equally Mm. versus dividing people apart. Now, with respect to the current legal structure uh, in the United States, for example, to, to implement the reforms that are listed, well, it would mean redoing a lot of the legal system as it is and simplifying it. Right. 
and the tax system as well. You uh, have, uh, I, I guess, would broach or would approach a, uh, a complicated, complex uh, subject matter. Uh, there are individuals in government right now that are trying to uh, do some things that are controversial. Would you call your steps controversial? For example, um, everybody gets a job or everybody has a house to live in or that kind of thing. Would that be a part of the uh, SELP uh, approach, or is it a little more complex than that? Well, from, from my perspective, I don't find it controversial because it actually achieves uh, the goals that are stated in the text and what many politicians state are their goals but have no system or plan to come through it. So to rephrase it a different way, we just had national elections in the United States, and there's one thing in common that all the politicians on the right and the left, and there's more political parties besides uh, the Libertarian or, or other uh, there's one thing that they all have in common. None of them have a clearly documented plan for the future. That's true. That accomplishes specific goals. And this text outlines the framework for doing that. So the way it works is this. You, you look at each government departments, say the military or NASA or the Department of Education or the Department of Energy or whatever, currently they get a percent of the total population of tax dollars that are out there, the, the income for the year that is available to be taxed. Well, rather than have appropriation bills, let's pre-budget government. So each department gets a percent. Whatever the percent is they're currently getting, you can use that as a basis. Right. So let's say the military gets 7% uh, that, that other departments get 2% or so. And in the text, the 2016 U.S. federal budget is used to illustrate this with hard example as to what it adds up to. Well, then you pre-budgeted all these departments and you're getting rid of the appropriation bills, which is where all the government fat is at. Mm-hmm. And you still have to address the needs-based system. Now, when I go through and I analyze it, I say the needs-based system, all of the needs-based system, all of the Social Security system, or all of the college systems or whatever, they're really trying to do just three things. The first is make sure everyone has enough money to live off of. The second is make sure that everyone has their health care which is not health insurance right. taken care of. And the third is to make sure that everyone has a place to live. Now, if you add in a fourth factor of treating everyone equally, you can solve down how to do this within more tax rates. Okay. If you take a trillion dollars and divide it by 300 million people, it comes out to about 70 bucks a week. Okay. Now, you don't got to worry about, having to pay for housing or having to pay for medical insurance or medical costs, well, you can go out and buy food for 70 bucks a week. and you got a basis to build from. Mm-hmm. And the 70 bucks would be per each citizen. doesn't matter your age. doesn't matter whatever, but it puts a premium on being a citizen and cleaning up the whole system of people who are, eh, what in computer systems would be called orphan records who are floating around who have no designation. Mm-hmm. 
Now, with respect to health care, if the idea is that everyone should have health care, you don't need an insurance system. You don't need an insurance system like they have over in the countries in Europe or in Canada where people pay in and, and have insurance stuff. There's no need. If you're a citizen, you can go in and get treated, and it's going to come to a stable percent of cost of the population. So you have yet another tax rate. Okay, so what we're doing is we're building the tax rates for everything. Yes. And you do something similar with housing, okay? If you're a citizen and you need a place to live, well, then the governments have to provide a place to live. It doesn't have to be the Taj Mahal, okay? But people then don't have to pay rent. They don't have to pay the utilities, okay? They don't have to worry about all those things. You just pay for it out of the tax rate. Now, people in larger cities will say, well, my cost of living is higher. But if you can define the areas where the cost of living is different, there is nothing precluding the local governments from those areas from supplementing whatever the federal does, because the federal should be treating everyone equally and not saying, oh, you live in the city, you get more. Interesting. That's a local issue. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a local economy. A very complex subject and complex uh, process in getting this in, in implemented uh, should the government or should individuals uh, gravitate towards the SEP system. The um, only downside from what I can see might be that government is getting involved in my personal life a little bit more than I'd like them to. Is that something that uh, <laughs> someone should be concerned about? In the text, we go through the um, what what that actually means. Government's already involved in everyone's well, life in that's every true. way, shape, or form. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things that gets pointed out for the the points of cleaning up things legally, okay, is is that you know if if you and I go out and commit fraud, well, we get thrown in jail. If true. Major corporations or the people funding some of what's going on in Wall Street go out and commit fraud and it blows up in their face, they get a TARP bailout. And a nice retirement. Because the government says, yeah, well, <laughs> they don't lose all the fortune they should have lost on the bad <laughs> bets they placed. Right. Okay, but for the common people, what's also going on is that we also have – 100% surveillance of everything we say or do. we got to assume that everything we say or do is being recorded somewhere, audio or visually. And that can be used against us at any point in time by all the zillion laws that are out there that none of us know. I mean, I'm sure I'm illegal somehow now just talking to you. I don't know how, but I am. And anyone can come at me anytime and throw me in jail or find me or take away my possessions which ties into the next thing well i hope they we at least constructed it so that yeah i hope we at least uh, complete the interview i mean good grief i don't want that to happen i'm banging on your door go ahead i'm sorry um, just a thought there, i like that i like that <laughs> um but the other thing then is that well now that you're illegal we can come in and under uh uh civil asset forfeiture or economic uh uh, eminent domain laws come and take your possessions. Well, that's true. Yep. And there's not a thing you can do about it except try and fight the government over a period of years and at a period of cost to you both person personally and 
terms of time and emotional status as well as financially. Well, this is a complex subject, okay. and you have certainly burned up some uh, some brain cells. I won't say burn them up, but you have used them to to complete this 205-page uh, essay and um, uh, directive uh, titled The Byzantine Pineapple Corporation X. Uh, how long did it take you, Bill, to complete this? Oh, this started back when uh, uh, Obamacare was going on, or probably back when TARP was passed. I sensed at the passing of TARP, something I feel is completely unnecessary. Right. And uh, I... as the text points out, all of a sudden everyone on the airwaves came out and said the four horsemen of the economic apocalypse are right around the corner unless we spend a trillion dollars on mm. people. Wow. Wow. The uh, the audience, this, again, is a, uh, a subject material that is going to take some focus, I would uh, best describe it, in order to understand the set principle. Who, who do you think is going to, to find this provocative and uh, will gravitate towards the content? Anyone who's fed up with the political parties and the political system. Well, that would be everybody. Any of the growing class of independents. Right. Well, it's, uh, again, a, a mammoth job that you have uh, have completed, and uh, 205 pages. You have a, a sister publication or a sister book that has a similar title. Is there, are they the same content? Is it just an easier read? How would you describe that? Oh, actually, they're two, two separate texts. And the 205-page one is the full text which includes the Corporation X business plan. The Corporation X business plan is to take the works of fiction that I have uh, published and am in the process of publishing and have specced out and which will be on display on the revamped POG.biz website. And it's it's a plan to make literally uh, billions of dollars over a course of years of uh, pumping out two to three big budget films every year. Phenomenal. And the products have already successfully market tested. But by doing so, by creating Corporation X and growing Corporation X, the principles of the Byzantine pineapple can be used. The Corporation X can be used as a movie production company, a film and a marketing production company to produce and market the Byzantine pineapple concepts to people globally. Well, it's a fascinating concept, and uh, those of you in the listening audience that are curious about ways to survive in our global economy, this book will be something that will challenge your thinking and also give you some options to consider. The title, again, is The Byzantine Pineapple Corporation X. My guest author, Bill Poggi, and Poggi is spelled P-O-J-E. Where do they get copies of your book, Bill? Uh, it, it'll be available anywhere on Amazon, or uh, I can be contacted through the Poggi.biz website, or there's a second website up, uh, painless-poggi.com. Painless was the first novel uh, which came out and, and was successful as a work of fiction and is the first of the Less trilogy. And uh, there are many more products. Uh, the Poggi.biz website will showcase 12 different products. Well, that are in development or have already been published. Amazing. 
you uh, certainly have the energy and the uh, motivation to to continue as an author. This is, uh, again, a, a wonderful achievement. Thank you again for joining me today and sharing your information, your background, your story about this publication, the Byzantine Pineapple Corporation X. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you, Jay. I greatly appreciate those kind words, and I thank again everyone who takes the time to listen to this. Honored to visit with you. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. <laughs>